Welcome everybody to the 52nd episode of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm your host, Manny. And I'm your host, Simon. Manny, welcome back. You've been traveling again. Ah, what a surprise. I know, I know. It's I told you, it's a year of 83, 84, right? Another friend turned 40 and uh, we had a fun party in uh, Tulum, Mexico. For how long? Well, I was there for probably seven or eight days. I went the first four days to Cancun and then the next five, four or five days to Tulum. And it was just so much fun. It was so much fun. Have you ever been to Mexico? I haven't, no. The fact that you can't remember how many exact days you're away from, <laughs> yes. I think is a pretty telling sign of exactly. what it was a quiet week at the you library probably hear you. It, you could probably hear my voice. Yeah, we were just on the golf course, went fishing a couple of days. <laughs> in bed by seven. Exactly. Went to a couple of really nice restaurants, a nice art exhibit in Tulum. It was very, very nice Lots of vegetables. See. Absolutely, absolutely. It's very cleansing, you know, juices and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. It was just so It's a yoga fun. retreat. Absolutely. You know, so it was a good time. It was a blast. Yeah, my buddy Rakesh, who was on this actually yeah, up, yeah. Uh, on, on our podcast, he's a man you fan unfortunately but he was on our app podcast uh you know when we first started the first 10 episodes and kind of giving a preview of manu this year and he was probably right you know they're doing much better than we were we were wrong yeah. on that assessment you thought ten hog was gonna be fired right away and it looks like he's manu's on the up and up yeah i don't know how yeah i know right? so Hoyland's <laughs> actually scoring goals now i right? know he is bagging goals but yeah no it was for his 40th birthday and uh, we had a blast um, a couple of my friends that went to england with me were there as well john him and I went to England together with Rakesh and our annual Diwali trip. He made it down to Mexico as well. And then a lot of just friends that we kind of grew up with. And it was just a good, good, fun time. Amazing. Well, happy birthday, Rakesh. You're a good friend of the pod. So we wish you all the best for your 40th. Yeah. I mean, we've missed two games. I know, right? On the backs of a victory against Palace at Selhurst Park and then a draw against City at the Empty Head. <laughs> Can you believe that there are still empty seats? I couldn't believe it. Yes, I it. can. They I, don't have any just, real fans. It was like, you know, we, we saw that one city fan in Nashville. We wanted to just pinch him you know, to see if he was Look, real. It's Arnold just, Schwarzenegger. He's real. He's real. Uh, no, it was just, it's just sickening seeing that many empty seats in, in a big game like this. I mean, two teams that played in the, in the final, the CL in 2021, have you know traditionally played pretty good games, especially this year and, and the current one in the past when those four four on the bridge and just seeing these empty seats is just disheartening. It's just you know sports washing at its worst with this team. Yeah, but you know what is refreshing before we talk about the games? I think oh, the, the one area of superstardom that we have got over those two games was our away fans. Yeah. Oh my god. My goodness me. Has anyone, if anyone ever doubts me, what the true spirit of the Chelsea fans it are is? From maybe going to a, a home game where there's a lot of tourists there and you know. A lot, not as loud. Our away fans are very good. I mean, from Villa Park to Sutter's Park to the Empty Head, it was just rocking, man. It was rocking. That game, I was watching that game in Mexico against Crystal Palace, and it was just sort of like a very, very uh, nerve-wracking game up yeah. to the 90th minute, and just seeing, you know, Chelsea's academy product, Loney to Crystal Palace, scored bagging in two goals at the end and getting us the victory up top with the Enzo goal as well. It just... It was nice to see us actually score three points away yeah. from home. Yeah, I, our fans were just incredible in that game. And all the all the away games that we've had previous recently in the last couple of weeks has kind of been real backs against the wall. I feel that our fan, if anyone doubted our fans are behind these players, I, I think those doubts have been put to bed. Can you can you answer a pressing question for me? Yes, please do. Yeah. So this three little birds, everything is going to be all right. Can you yes. give me the history of that song? Because we had somebody on Twitter that absolutely got upset that our new Chelsea fans didn't know anything about that song, but. I have heard it at Stamford Bridge for a long time. Um, usually when we got thrashed, like it was a bit of gallows humour in, in the song. And 
it's interesting. I, I made a Chelsea playlist on Spotify a while while back, and I hadn't heard us sing that in the stands for a long time. But that's on the playlist because I was like, Chelsea has a lot of history with reggae and ska music going back to like Madness, the Specials, those kind of bands. But Bob Marley, Three Little Birds, and Liquidator as well. That's a that's a reg, ska reggae song from the eighties. And Bob Marley, Three Little Birds has just been one of those songs that Chelsea fans have sung, but we've not sung it for quite a while. That's the first time I've heard it in the stands, and when it came on. At half time at Selhurst Palace, both sets of fans were singing it, but all our fans just took over. And I remember it mainly in the early 2000s when I was at Stamford Bridge, because that was a period of time where we would have the odd terrible result. And I remember hearing it in the stands and being like, oh, it's Bob Marley. That's a great song. But this is, that goes to a wider point that a lot of new fans haven't heard us sing that. And that's okay. Everyone was a new fan once, right? The idea of like having a go at new fans for not knowing previous songs and traditions is just the most fucking stupid thing that I've ever heard. Like, who put you in charge of deciding who's a real Chelsea supporter? Or these people who tweet these things? It's madness. Absolute madness. And the history doesn't go... I'm not, I don't know how far it goes back, but I remember it being like an ever-present moment of my Chelsea fandom. But I heard it once, first time for the, new, for the first time at some point, and I went to my first ever Chelsea game and watched my first ever Chelsea game on TV. And it's just, it's a vocal minority, especially on Twitter, that just try and disregard any new fans or try and make them feel that they're not wanted. It's just pathetic. It's really pathetic. We want to welcome as many people as we can to be Chelsea supporters, especially right now. Yeah, and I think one of my favorite Bob Marley songs is not just that, it's a redemption song, and this game sort of had that sort of feeling to it, you know? I mean, you're seeing a team that's been slugged, you know, throughout the media, throughout our fan base, on Twitter, even by both of us, uh, from the losses against the Wolves and Liverpool to having three successive pretty good games, you know, two wins against uh, Villa and Crystal Palace and a great draw against Man City away. And there is a sense of redemption mainly with this young squad, I think, with the way they turned out against Man City because you know you saw Chelsea of old uh, I'm sorry of this past year get sort of nervous and shell-shocked in these big away games whether it's at Anfield or at Old Trafford right or at St. James Park we just look like shit now this is the empty head right you know it's not <laughs> one of those pinnacle scenes but still it's 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 a game away from a team I mean if you look at the starting lineup of uh, against Man City you had KDB back on on the, on the pitch Rodri who I think is the best midfielder probably should be a Ballon d'Or nominee I think this yeah, year just sure. based on how well he's been playing Holland a cyborg Nobody will tell me this guy is human until they actually. I want to see an X-ray or something. I think this guy's like a cyborg, man. <laughs> and the way the way he can jump so high, and the, some of the acrobatics that he can do is just ridiculous. You know, Foden. Obviously, we talked about one of the best English players. You know, coming up from the academy, of Man City, and, and for the English national team, Doku has been playing pretty well this year. You know, and Akanji, Rodri, Diaz, Walker. I mean, these are good players, and for them to play this well against them away from home, there's this redemption feeling. I think that. It's sort of going with this team. I take a slightly different point. I know you do. <laughs> just to be different. No, no, I can see your point. The Man City game, I think you can take that in isolation as just a spectacular performance. And I think you can read more into that. I don't want to forget that first half against Crystal Palace. Yeah, no. Was, that yeah. was about as the worst Chelsea performance I think I've ever seen. Worst half. What did we have? Like nearly 80% possession. Didn't no shot on goal. goal. Yeah, no shot on goal. And just looked limp and dreadful and then something turned at half time and honestly it it played into my view about Pochettino not being the right guy 
after a great result against Aston Villa, some slight tweaks to the, the team against Crystal Palace, and it just kind of reverted back to type. But this kind of ties into one of our questions, actually, from Michael, our friend, posted about Thiago Silva. Does he now not get back into the starting lineup? I think, and I texted you this at the end of the Palace game, I think his injury has saved Pochettino's job because it's now forced him to change things in terms of our centre-backs. Baddy Shield played against, with De Sassi against Aston Villa and we looked absolutely sublime. As soon as Thiago went off, we looked better against Palace with Colwell coming on and Levi Colwell and De Sassi against Man City were absolutely sublime. They were fantastic. I haven't seen a 4-3-3 Chelsea team with four at the back with two centre-backs commanding like that for a very long time. And I think... From that moment where Thiago Silva got injured, I think I can see the idea of things changing now. And this is not to disparage Thiago Silva at all. It's not. I think he's been a Chelsea legend. If we go back to our all-time favourite Chelsea squads, he was on my bench. Love the guy. He's nearly 40 years old. The way that Pochettino wants to play is high energy, high pressing, high line. And you can't do that with a defender like Thiago Silva who does not have that mobility that he once had because it affects the rest of the team around him as well. So Chilwell looked much better with Colwell and Baddy Shield next to him because he has the mobility and speed behind him and the spaces and Caicedo closer. With Thiago Silva there, Caicedo was basically playing as an auxiliary centre-back and I think that injury has saved Pochettino. I think it has, for the rest of the season at least. I don't know where it goes from there but I think you see the product of having more athletically nimble players than Thiago Silva playing at centre-back and we look better from it. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I can, I can see your point. I think for me, I would probably need a, a larger sample size. Yeah. If anything we've seen in this season, you can't take what we see for three or four games for granted and say that's going to be the, the benchmark for the whole season. We've seen no. that in the past. I would need more of a sample size. Of course, seeing Cowell and, and DeSassi play incredible against Man City. I mean, it reminded me of the Champions League final when all of our defenders had like top eight, nine, you know, level rating in the back four. They were both really, really good. I mean, Highland did have some chances against Cowell one-on-one, but I think for the most part, they were pretty the sound. best striker in the yeah, world exactly, he's going yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Um, you know, it's just one of the situations. I think the athleticism of Cowell being able to track back especially when Man City are on the break or even inter- interplay with um, Chilwa and Enzo on that side. And his passing is good, right? I mean, I'm not just you know, saying that Ch- Silva was not. Silva's also really good at passing. But one thing about Levi Cole that you saw at Brighton last year was his distribution. He was very good about putting the ball out to our midfielders or our wide players, even on the opposite side, from that left center back position. And I think he has to be able to do that with this Chelsea squad. I want to see a little bit more in terms of games mm-hmm. with Colwell and DeSassi because what I talk about most part in this podcast, the inexperience, that's what always, you know, throttles Chelsea, right? Or puts a break on us because we look like we're going to have a good run of games and all of a sudden you see the inexperience in our center back position with Batty Shield making mistakes, with DeSassi making mistakes. Gusto didn't have the best game in the against the Wolves. He can make mistakes. He looked incredible with this game as Man City, but anything can happen when you have this young squad. So I want to see this partnership grow between Colwell and DeSassi. Badishu and DeSassi obviously have played together in the past. Both of us have talked about the future of Chelsea's center-back positioning, I think, is actually pretty good. Because if you think about with Fofana coming back, him and Colwell would have a great partnership. DeSassi and Badishu will play together. That's four strong center-back positions that we had, especially with Alfie Gilchrist on the bench as well. Yeah. And so I think the plan is there to have a solid foundation for this back four. I need to see more of this 
of this Colwell in the left center back position. I've seen it. I mean, we saw it last year against well, for Brighton, but especially against Chelsea in the back four position because I think he was more in the back three at Brighton. And so I need to see a little bit more sample size. But I, I agree with you. I think that Silva, obviously, he brings the cerebral quality of the center back, being able to dive in and, and dig goals out if they kind of if it gets past our keeper. I think he's also there, and he knows the spacing. He knows where to tell Desasi where to go. He knows where to tell Chua where to make the runs or when or whatnot. But I think the issue is his mobility, and that's just his age. And I think the way we did it past with with Roman, right? Roman had the rule once you're at past the age of thirty or whatnot, we sort of phase you out, and that happened with uh, John Terry. You know, mm-hmm. Antonio Conte's first season when we won the championship, he was being phased out. Happened with Gary Cahill. You know, it, hap- mm-hmm. it happens with our senior players. This is the first time we've seen a center back that's played past his quote unquote prime under the Roman ownership. Yeah. But he, he hasn't, he didn't look like he lost much of a step. Even last year, I'd probably argue he was probably a top five center back or top 10 in the league, even though we were not in that in terms of the positioning. I thought he was still a great center back in parts of this year as well. But when you start getting older, when you start feeling the conditioning part of the game and, and recuperating from these games, it, it, it changes. It changes. And to his benefit, he has been able to escape the reconditioning phase of, of yeah. Chelsea this year. And he's been able to give us that depth that we needed with Batty Shield out, with you know, with um Fofana out, with Chilwell out. And so what he 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 was great when we needed him and now I think it is part of that sort of transition. Yeah, and this is the thing. I agree with you on all of that and but there's this other element as well, which I referred to right at the start of the season. I don't know if you remember where I said that, is this the time? I'm starting to think this is the time that where we need to start phasing him out because unfortunately, he doesn't have the legs to play in a four at the back. He doesn't. He looked exceptional the last couple of years because we were playing with a five at the back with Rudiger next to him, with Christensen next to him. Even Zuma, where there's like a lot of Aspilicueta before his decline. You have that protection when you play three centre-backs and and two wing-backs. When you move to a four, it changes everything. So one thing that I noticed explicitly at the Crystal Palace game while we were watching was Caicedo's positioning while Thiago Silva was on the ball. If we lose that ball, Caicedo is playing to the right of Thiago Silva where he should be covering the space by Chilwell because that enables Chilwell to go forward. Otherwise, Chilwell is stuck at left back. And then if he does go forward, we're completely wide open because Thiago Silva can't cover that space on the left without any central midfield coverage on that position. And I think you saw that against City as well. Our midfield was just in tune immediately. Against Villa it was. In the second half, it was much better against Palace. It was far from perfect, but it was much better. And... I don't think it's a coincidence. I do not think it's a coincidence. I've looked at it really closely because I love Thiago Silva. He's like one of my favourite ever players. But there's a time where you think, okay, if we're going to play this way, and Pochettino is rigid in his way that he wants to play, something has to give. Either you change the formation or you phase out the person you're accommodating to try and get into it. And now is the time, in my view, to do that. Because apart from this cup final, we've got barely anything else to play for now, unless we get further in the FA Cup. So if we're going to build these new young central defensive partnerships, it has to be now. So going back to the Crystal Palace game, the second half, the transformation in the team, as I referred to after, well, immediately on the second half, the great finish by Conor Gallagher. And I have to give him props. I know I've been quite critical the last few months, actually, of his performances. But against Palace and City, he really kind of turned a corner for me. That first goal equaliser was absolutely superb. Malagusto down the right. 
Yeah, and I think it started with the changing, right? Taking out Nani, and, and Nani played against again played in phenomenal against Aston Villa in the FA Cup game. But in this game, I just didn't see the Nani that I saw in that other game. And taking him out and bringing in in Kunku, I think, was like a smart move by Poch, and it allowed Gusto to have a little bit more space and flexibility on that right side. Because I think him and Nani were occupying too much of the space, and the overlap runs weren't there for Gusta, but they were there when they made the sub. Yeah. And that centering that ball back into Connor Gallagher. How many times have we said that that's always the same ball that people score against us? Yeah. Right. That that center centering ball. But this is the first time that this is a Connor Gallagher that we saw at Palace being able to score those goals in and around the box, and it was just it was sublime. And it just I mean I wanted him to celebrate, and I was happy he did celebrate after yeah. that goal. He almost got he got choked out. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, it was Nico Jackson, Nico Jackson <laughs> giving the like, big choke. Yeah, it was like Jack the Ripper out Quite there. Liked you know? it. it was interesting. It was like that's the thing because Gallagher last year scored that winner and didn't celebrate. I loved the fact he went for it this time because like so he should. Yeah, he, he, he wasn't in Crystal Palace Academy project. He was there on loan. It's different, right? If yeah, it's yeah. different if he was an Academy project. Was you know they paid for his education, his training, and whatever, whatnot, and he. You know, we bought him from them. No, we loaned him to him. He was there for one year. And he was their player of the season yeah. and they booed him. Exactly. <laughs> booed him for the, the audacity to go back to his parent club after a loan spell. But then uh, yeah, I think we just turned it on after that. I think there was some good defending from our defenders. The injury, Thiago Silva, was came from a stretch, actually. And then I thought from that moment on, it was just a matter of when we were going to score. We, we looked far from like our fluid best, but I think the fact that the winner or the second goal came in the fashion it did from a counter-attack, Cole Palmer looking great again. Just yeah. Can we talk about that? Because I think it was a mistake in the lineup in the sense that when Cole Palmer's out there, he was part, he was really playing that false nine role, but he was, he was, he's better, much better in that right wing role, right? Yeah. And so when Nkuku came on, it allowed Cole Palmer to get back to his natural position. He was able to get those two assists in the second. And Gallic, oh yeah, <laughs> the winner. What, yeah. the second goal with De Sassi yeah. crowd surfed. Yeah, I, I mean, just for the record, me and you have both really liked De Sassi all season. Yeah, absolutely. Very high on And him. I feel like he's, I, think, I do not understand the hatred he's been getting. Yeah. I think he's fitting extremely well. This is a, a he's our hype man, right? New to the Premier League. I don't know if people have very short memories. Rudiger's first season for Chelsea wasn't wonderful. And Rudiger had the luxury of playing in a back three. Yeah, you yeah. Know, the second part of the season when he looked much better. De Sassi has played more minutes than anyone for Chelsea this season. Yeah. And he's been really, really influential. He scored goals for, yeah, for us yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. In, in different positions. And I think he's just brilliant. He's yeah. like a really, really likable guy. And it's one of the situations where, again, I just hate harping on this. It's like, a, it's like an echo, right? It's just like, yeah, he's young. He's young. And you're seeing now him sort of, you know, his physicality was, it's always been there, but now he's had that cerebral sense in the Premier League. He knows, and he's doing much better. Yeah. And I think you see the flexibility with him, and he doesn't have to cover Silva that much now, knowing that he has Cola there, who has more mobility and flexibility that he can just keep on his channel. Yeah. What I liked about the change of Palmer as well is that this is one of my frustrations with Pochettino and a lot of our other managers when they put our best players in positions where they're not the most effectual. If a team is playing deep, like Palace were, get Palmer deeper so he can get on the ball and influence things. He's so good. Yeah. He's so good. And I think Nkunku is falling into that trap a bit as well, where we're putting him too high forward. He's not a target man. No. He's not a target man at all. You want him on the ball so he can pick things out. You saw that in the second half of City, right? We made the substitution. He was on an island. He's not a Giroud where you can just throw it up and he can target him. He needs to be part of the build-up. Yeah, exactly. And then Enzo's goal to finish it off. Oh, it's great. And I think, you know, he could have slotted in for Nkuku and could have gotten him a goal, but I think he just saw it. He's like, I want this. Yeah. 
you know, and then I like the fact that he was like, you know, he's, I'm here, I'm staying. This is me. This is what, this is where I want to be. And then just sassy crowd surfing was just incredible. And I think it was just one of the situations. It was such a great game. It had me buzzing the whole day in Mexico. This is the whole thing. It's like, you can play shit, but nothing beats a last minute win. Yeah. Nothing does. It's just sheer, sheer ecstasy when it happens. And it's just. We've no, given up a lot, but we've never been on the on on the good end of it, you know, for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it's it always not, Palace, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Palace, the really, really get out of get out of jail free card, exactly. isn't it? Every time. So then we move to Man City. Yeah, this, this weekend. This and this will kind of bring us a debate between you and I on, on on our head coach. This game, when I saw the lineups come out, I thought I was sort of concerned based on the way City's shape is going to be and the way they normally play. But when I saw from the kickoff, I saw that, man, Poch actually kind of made a pretty impressive uh, tactical setup. He was more of like a, you know, it was kind of like we did against Villa, a 4-4-1-1 or a 4-4-2 out of possession. Because what, what City did with their lineup and what they did was really, really important is they move Akanji into the midfield. So you're Akanji and Rodri are so your defensive mids in the, in the five back, right? You have... You have Ake, Diaz, and Walker as your center backs, and you have Akanji and Rodri in the middle, right? But what he did was he he let them sort of he let the center backs hold possession for a little bit, but he had Connor Gallagher sort of man marking Rodri mm-hmm. and breaking off the channels because he wanted the possession to go to Akanji. Akanji's not that good on the ball compared to Rodri, compared to KDB, compared to Alvarez in the midfield, and so once Akanji got the ball, he he pushed Enzo up to press him. And that's where the mistakes happened, right? And so when you don't have Rodri, who's the best defensive midfielder in the game, on the ball, in possession, that's where you're going to have to start making mistakes. The other thing he did was, you know, we in the back four, usually when you pay a 4-4-2, the back four is sort of wide. In this game, they were more compact. Yeah. Because City's best, at, uh, best you know, um, tactical advantage is in their midfield. When you have KDB, Rodri, Alvarez, Akanji, you know who they have. You know on the bench, uh, incre- other incredible midfielders. Kovacic comes yeah. in. They can they can build through the midfield. Uh, Bernardo Silva as oh, well. I can't believe he didn't start. Yeah, you know, and 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 so us being more compact and Connor Gallagher, I thought was just an unsung hero that game because he was able to press up when the center backs had the ball, but then he dropped back and he was cutting out the channels for Rudder to get the ball. And then Cole Palmer, I want to highlight him. He did an awesome job too in that game. He was able to go backwards and forwards. We talked about this, you and I, on, on our private messaging, that the thing that Nani gives that Cole Palmer doesn't give is Nani's more athletic. And he, in that game against Villa, he was able to come back and sprint back when um, Gusto was too far up. Yeah. And so Nani was your makeshift right fullback for parts of the game. Cole Palmer, this game, whenever Doku got the ball, he was there with Gusto. Yeah. And they just they were playing him two on one. And so what City had to do is they had to move KDB from the right all the way back to the left to play with Doku. Yeah. You didn't see KDB get the ball no. at all that game. He was absent. He was absent in the first half. Yeah. And we forced everything on that left side and Gusto was just putting Doku in his pocket. Yeah. The whole time. And then that got us into the in the counterattacks. And all of our counterattacks came on that right side. Between Gusto, Palmer, on that right side, Nico Jackson dropping in. That's how we scored the goal. That's where we should have scored uh, the multiple goal, multiple goals from that right side. So Poch, I thought, had him set up marvelously in the first half. It's the second half when they t- when they took out Alvarez and they brought in Bernardo Silva. I think that's when we kind of lost the midfield edge, right? Yeah. Well, just like any great coach, Guardiola adapted to the yeah. situation. And like, I have to say, the first half, 
I don't think anyone played badly. I think we all played. They all played excellently. But this kind of goes back to the idea of what I've mentioned about Thiago Silva is that the athletic ability of the players that we had on the pitch. It wasn't just Gallagher that was superb in that midfield. Caicedo and Enzo, yeah, absolutely everywhere. Like I haven't seen Enzo put in a defensive shift like that, yeah. but he was just that Parker ball. KDB. And that ball he laid on for Sterling, oh, which Sterling messed up yeah. as well, would have been one of the assists of the season. Chilwell looks much better with Colwell next to him, and Sterling. You have to say Sterling played really well for the most part as well. Tactically, Pochettino got it absolutely spot on in the first half. Really did, and we're, I was surprised. We're at our best when we're playing teams with the high line. Yeah, I think that's when you see the adva- the, the advantages Chelsea has on the break with the speed of Nico Jackson, Sterling, Cole Palmer, the vision of Enzo and Gusto and Chilwell to make those runs as well. Yeah. I mean, that's that's when we're at our best playing against these teams with the high line. We did it well against Tottenham. We did it against well against Villa. Yeah, They're, you know, well against uh, some City. of those, all those chances looked that we created looked similar in those games actually. And I, I saw this analysis regarding the game on Saturday where Ake played really well for Man City, but the way that we countered their left side left him completely exposed, yeah. Yeah. completely exposed. And this is the thing: it's like. Man City is just the best and they're going to wear you down. So you have to take your opportunity. But you will get opportunities if you play smartly. And we did. We were very disciplined and we played smartly. And that ball out of, of their left-back position where we were on the right. And I have to say, Nico Jackson was fucking superb. Yeah. If this boy can learn how to finish, he is going to be an absolute monster. Oh, see that back heel to Gusto? Just he oh sets God. the play up so nicely. yeah. yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's like, he just needs to get his shooting boots on. And I have to say, the, the chance that he messed up, the ball was slightly behind him from Gusto. Absolutely. I think he ran too, too yeah. fast. But you know what? Those will happen and you have to you have to be very quick. I mean, look at the chances Holland missed, right? Yeah. You know, like he had what, Everyone three, has a bad three, day. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's just tactical brilliance of the first half. Second half, you saw, you know, I saw a lot of criticism for Poch making the changes. But the players were tired. They were asked to yeah. do so much on defense. And we didn't have that much on the bench to counter it. No. And like, I'm very critical of Pochettino and I don't think he's the answer long term. However, I don't think he could have done too much differently in that game. Our players were absolutely out on their feet by that period of time because the way that we were playing and counter-attacking and pushing them and pushing them and pushing them and the way they keep possession just wears you down. So you have to make changes and the, the injuries again that we've had... I mean, there wasn't that many options to come on. The only change that I would have liked to have not seen was Palmer coming off. It's yeah. the only one. The only one. But if he was gassed, then there's not really much you can do about it because he was that link from the defence of the midfield. But well, you have to say City are the best team in the world and they just turned it on in the second well, half. When Palmer came off, it was a whole tactical change. We went to a back three. Trevor came on. We lose that man up top. We lose a you know we lose that extra presence in the midfield. There's no there's gonna be no build up play. We were yeah. just playing to win, yeah. you know, to not concede a goal. Yeah. That, and I'm that, okay with that. And you, yeah, you can't fault Poch for that. I mean, I think I think that's what I would have done. I was saying we need to go back to back three. You know, I would have. I don't know if I would have taken Palmer out, but it, it is what it is. And um, when you bring in Nkuku, it's hard. To, he's not a target man. You, you know, when you when you're playing a back three and you get game possession, you, you need a center back that can hold up the ball. He was he was just on an island by himself. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. coming back, and so. I don't think that's a position that he was wanting to play when he signed no. for Chelsea, but he's been asked to do you know the impossible. You can't judge him on that performance yeah. as well. Like he's also come back from a long in- injury layoff, and he's going to take some time to adapt and being playing as a solo striker against Man City when they're onslaughting your goal for the uh, entire second half. There's not really much you can do about it, but 
I mean, before I would have bitten your hand off for a point, and the fact that we almost won is a huge credit to these players. And I think that this is the the point I'm going to keep going back to. I believe in a lot of these players. The criticism that some of these players get is completely unjustified. We've got some exceptional fucking players in our team who are raw, inexperienced, but they need to be set up properly to succeed. And maybe now, maybe now, it gives me a bit of optimism that they can, but it's on Pochettino to fix it properly and to set it up properly. But you know what? I think mentality-wise... The fact that we still came out of there with a point is huge for this team and these young players because I think if we'd lost in the last moments, that would have knocked the stuffing out of them for the next weekend when we need them to be motivated and ready. And you know what? We have a chance next weekend. Biggest game of the season. They've come off getting a point at Man City. where not We've scored more goals against Man City, Pat Guardiola's Man City than any other team in one season. He's scored five against this team. Which no other team has done. And we should have won the first game. Yeah, yeah. Bogus has penalty. Exactly. You so know. incredible. Who was your man of the match? I mean, I think I think we're both going to say Desasi. Uh, mm. Well, this is me. I, I, between Desasi and Gusto, I have to say Desasi because I thought he was just everywhere. He also brought the energy on the back line. You know, his celebrations after you know knocking the ball out or breaking up a tackle or whatnot. It's between him and Gusto would be my choice, but I'm gonna have to go with Desasi just based on, you know, just the ability to play at such a high level, like almost looked like John Terry out there, looked like Rudiger-esque as well, just able to cut off all the channels, make these tackles. You know, whenever KDB or whoever was coming around the box, he went in there and he was very aggressive with it and didn't didn't give up that many fouls. No. He was sensational. I've been a big fan of his since he's joined as well. I think I w- there was multiple candidates, actually. I think Nico Jackson could have been it if he'd stayed on. I think Conor Gallagher could have been it. I think the shift he put in on Rodri was just ridiculous. Caicedo, Enzo, exceptional. Colwell was brilliant. I thought Chilwell was really good as well. But for me, it's Gusto. Yeah. For me, it's Gusto. This kid is 20 years old. And to pocket one of the most exciting wingers in the world in Doku and just play like it was... He never really looked like he got out of second gear. God, it's got some interesting questions for Chelsea in the future, which we'll lead into in a bit. But... Wow, what a player this kid is, man. And this is, I mentioned, we've talked about this previously about some of the impactful signings. And this is why I don't get that we've wasted one billion quid. Think about who we've signed that has transformed this team already. Cole Palmer, what a player. But Gusto is sneakily probably the most important sign that we've made in a long, very long time. Yeah, we mentioned that, right? Especially yeah. in coverage of Reese James, we're seeing it now with his injury problems. Yeah. So that actually leads on to our ne- uh, one of our next listener questions. So this question was from Larry, which he said, what do we do with Gusto when Reese James is fit? Hypothetically fit. Yeah. Is no, he going to be fit? I think you have to keep both, um, obviously, with the rigors of the Premier League and the physicality. And we've seen it now with our fullbacks constantly rotating out of the out of the, um, the, cl- the clinic or whatnot. Um, I think that to have, to be excel in the Premier League, you have to have a sense of having good backup options or good players coming off the bench and having Reese James and Gusto there on the right side is great. And this is the one thing, you know, just because you have two doesn't mean they both can't play at the same time. Yeah. We were able to, you know, in Tuchel's um, back three, there are points of the game where Reese James played in the right center back position and Dave moved out in the right fullback position for the versatility. And I think you can also see Gusto and James doing that in a back three if we need to preserve a win or preserve a lead. Because James also has a good defensive 
you know, mindset. And then his, you know, when he's healthy, he's able to accurately make these passes and these runs. And I think him and Goose on the on the field together in the back three would do really, really well. I have a more simple solution. Play him at left back. Yeah. Think about our Reece title. James or Gusto? Gusto. You, yeah. play, you think about our title winning team in 2015. Our back four was Ivanovic right back, Cahill Terry and Aspilicueta as left yeah. back. Aspilicueta at left back pushed out Ashley Cole as a Chelsea player. Ashley Cole was our best ever left back for Chelsea. Aspilicueta did such a good job playing out of position at left back that he pushed him out of the, out the club. And I think Gusto, we've seen him Gusto play at left back. Yeah. He can do that. He has enough going forward defensively that he's got enough positional awareness to do both. That would be what I do. And then I would invest. And so this actually goes to our next question, actually. It ties in nicely, actually. So this actually a similar question from Andrew on our Slack channel and also JoeWow22 on Instagram. Asked a very Joe similar, Wow. Joe Wow. Um, so it says, Andrew's question was, what area of the pitch do we need to have more depth like we do with Gusto and James? And could re- which could be realistically solved in the summer. And Joe Well said something similar. Are we next year are we true top four contenders. How many signings guarantee that? What are your views on yeah, that? Yeah, number one, striker, 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 striker. <laughs> we need a striker. We need somebody there that can give Nico that can release the pressure off of Nico Jackson. Somebody that can start. Somebody that can bag goals in Premier League because we've had a lot of wasted opportunities in this Chelsea squad. We missed a lot of big chances, and being able to have a a number nine that can be fast and versatile and that can also press like Pochettino wants, like Nico Jackson can do right now, but has the experience is what we need. The the owners and the technical directors and sporting directors got to put this bullshit aside about wanting, you know, just young talent. We need an experienced striker to, to get to top four. Number one, and number one. Number two, I think we need a left fullback. Madison's yeah. probably going to be sold. Chilwell, you know, he's always, you know, injured injured. <laughs> injured every now and then. We don't know Cucurella is being injured right now. He looked good when he was healthy. We don't know if he's going to be sold or not. So I think we need coverage in a left fullback position. Yeah. I would say similar. Striker, obviously. if It doesn't have to be super young, but it needs to be a proven goal scorer. It has to be. A left back is, import, is really important. I think we've seen the value of having someone who can deputise for a, your number one, who can then put in an amazing shift. There is a very exciting talent at Cobham called Zach Sturge, who is not too far away, I would suggest. And one of the reasons why I believe Lewis Hall was sold. Um, they have a lot of faith in him, but you never know. So I would have someone of Gusto's profile, if you could find him. The Bournemouth left back looks very, very good. Very young player, looks interesting. I would also go for another winger. Really, I would. I think Sterling has been too inconsistent for me. Madueke has been too inconsistent. Mudrick is too inconsistent. So you've got Palmer and Kunku who all float in between those positions and the number 10. I think a superstar left winger would solve a lot of problems for this Chelsea team as well. And maybe maybe a goalkeeper. Yeah. And interesting that we left out midfield, both you and I. Because, you know, for our listeners out there, we have talented midfielders. They're just not healthy. Yeah, yeah. You know, lot, that is an area that I don't think we Ochoku, need to strengthen. Yeah, exactly. Connor. Chukwameka. Chukwameka, yeah. Lafia hasn't played at all for Chelsea. And like, I don't think that's an area that we need to strengthen. Yeah, I think that's just, I just, I mean, I pray for this season and the rest of the games, especially in our FA Cup run, that we can keep Caicedo and Enzo healthy. And I think you're right. I think the priority now is we're not going to get relegated I don't think we're going to make top six, you know, top five. If we win this game, we're in the conference league. 
right, then it should be focused on the FA Cup. should be off at that point. Yeah. We should be building for the future. Absolutely, absolutely. So next, <laughs> the question about top four then. I know it's tricky. What are your initial for next season? What do you, th- do you ah, think? I think if you look at the other teams that are currently in top four, Man City is going to be Man City, Liverpool, obviously no Klopp, but they, it depends on who they get. If they get Xavi, or they pick up, you know, Deserby or somebody like that, maybe they can continue with the top four form. Arsenal's only going to get better, I think, because they've done smart investment. I fucking hate them, but they're invest. They're like us two years ago, you know, investing in young, young and youth talent and Kai stuff Havis. like this. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, Timber hasn't even played for them, and he's, I think, obviously one, one of the top left fullbacks in the game. Um, Tottenham, I think, their fairy tale may come to an end. I think they they may drop out next year. I just don't see their ownership being that invested. And I think Ange is going to be a high profile coach that maybe other teams in Europe will go after. You so know, I, I think we're going to be top seven. Yeah. I think it's too early to tell if you're going to break into that. Cause you, I think you have to look at the opposition as well and how they strengthen. Like no one knows what Liverpool are going to be like next year on the clock. Who's going to decide to stay? Who are they going to bring in? As you said, I think I see enough there in the players we have, but I'm not convinced that the manager is right. To, to, to get us there maybe he can prove me wrong in the next few months I'm not convinced he can but I don't think we're that far away if if things start to click if they do click in the way that they've clicked in the last few games then I'd be optimistic for next season but I'm refusing to get drawn back into a, a state of optimism Manny like I'm just ref- this team has beaten me up too much this season. Leave me, leave the optimism to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I think based on that question, I think if you make the right additions, and obviously keeping the squad healthy is really, really important through the summer. We didn't, we didn't expect to lose Fofana and Nkunku right away before yeah. the first game, and that you know that's damning, you know, for our team, especially Nkunku. Not he needs that experience in the Premier League, and he could be bagging in goals right now, you know. And I think losing him kind of hurt us in that. I run. really want to see Lavia. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he. I think. He will make make a big difference to this team's midfield. When Reese James, just having a healthy Reese James, yeah. and we looked so good as Liverpool when he played. You know. Yeah. Thank you so much for those great questions. We've got one more at the end, which we're going to talk about. It's a bit of a nostalgia one, but building to this weekend, it's our biggest game of the season. I know I would argue probably the biggest game we've had in about two years. Liverpool in the Carabao Cup final at Wembley on Sunday. What are your Predictions. You about mean Klopp's gonna... farewell tour? Oh right? yeah. Can you can you plug that in oh, there, please? Oh man. It's it's Klopp's farewell tour. I heard they're gonna paint the arches uh, red. <laughs> Liverpool. <laughs> oh man, it's it's gonna be hell watching this coverage for everyone in England. I think we're quite lucky that we can wake up at nine o'clock and the game will be on, so we don't have to listen to hours of it. But the nauseating coverage about Klopp's farewell tour. This was on Sky Sports. I, I sent a picture of it to Manny where they were advertising it as Klopp's <sighs> farewell tour. And, I'm like, and think about all the pundits are going to be ex-Liverpool yeah. players yeah, as so well. It's like Sky News, aka you know, the graveyard for Man U and Liverpool players oh. to go and, and, and commentate. It's just it's going to be awful. This is one of the nice things about being in the US that we get the shitty ESPN FC announcers, yeah, yeah. but they're not going to be as biased. As yeah, they just hate us. Guy. They don't live, love Liverpool. Exactly. exactly. Steve Nichol. Uh, just got to wake me up if Martin Tyler's announcing yeah. in the middle of the game, okay? <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, it's a different Liverpool team that we're, play, that we're playing, and obviously it's not an Anfield. It's in a neutral uh, stadium, and I think um, we're not going to see the Chelsea that looked shell-shocked against Liverpool at Anfield. Number one, Liverpool is going to be, I mean, obviously, let me just preface that we've had a shit ton of injuries this year, 
and I'm not discounting the fact that we have not gone through the injury bug, but Liverpool is what, since the last game, have lost a sub out. Allison's going to be out. Curtis Jones is going to be out. Trent's going to be out. Uh, who else? Um, Jota. Diogo Chota. I mean, that that's was an awful one. injury. Yeah. And that's a big, he's been yeah. one of their best players. And then Nunez, who's had a little hobble and yeah. had to be taken off last game. They play tomorrow yeah. also. So t- today is Tuesday for our listeners. So they play on Wednesday. Yeah, against Luton. Is- and Luton, you know, we, we talked about them. You yeah, know? yeah. It's, it's a tough, they're a physical team. They're a very, yeah, very so physical Ross team. Barkley does puts one on a few of them. Exactly. So. Um, they do have Mo Salah coming back. But then Kelleher is not a bad goalkeeper either. I mean, he's, he's played pretty well for them in the backup role. So, I do think, though, that I'm a little bit more optimistic in this game against Liverpool than I was against them in Anfield, just based on um, the stadium and the atmosphere and, and just being a cup game. I think I think the players are going to be up for it. I just i am concerned. I'm so concerned by the refereeing. Yeah. I'm concerned about the refereeing because there is a subjective aspect of refereeing, and we know this. And knowing that it's going to be a big stage and it's going to be Klopp's farewell game, whatnot, will they get more calls than they should? I think they will. I think they will. Yeah. We've already saw that bogus bullshit offside with Lukaku in the last cup final. I mean, he was not offside. That should have been a goal. And I am. that's my big concern. Is is it, is it going to be a fair, balanced refereeing or is it going to swing one side to another? You know what? I have that fear as well. But I think Pochettino needs to utilise that a little bit and just say to the players, do not let the referees give it a chance to do it. Let's play our game in the way that we played against Man City, where we just took it to them. Let's put them on the back foot and let's do it. And I think, I, I really, I do think that result against City, holding on for a point in the way that we did, does a lot for the mentality of this team, as I mentioned earlier. And the way that they have injuries at the moment, I know, as you said, people are exaggerating and not comparing it to us, but it, there's some key players out for them. We are never, ever going to have a better opportunity of being in a cup final than we do right now under Klopp. This is it. This is it right now. We've got a better injury situation than we did previously. We've got players who are firing now. Players who can make a real difference. In, uh, players like Cole Palmer, I have more confidence, the most confidence I have had in a Chelsea player in him since Hazard really to affect a game and I think if we're tactically on it we have a chance and I've got a sneaking feeling we're going to win I've think, got a sneaking feeling yeah, we're going to win I think the biggest concern is can Colwell and Chilwell keep up with Salah on the right side I think they can yeah I think they can I think if you play those because Cucurella pocketed him really really well in the, the yeah. you know but the thing is like Colwell was played against Salah at centre-back for Brighton and done very well against them as well. And Salah's not 100% fit yeah. either. So you have to think, Wembley's a big pitch as well. And it's like, you're never going to have a better opportunity to beat a Klopp team in a final than we do right now. So um, everyone doesn't expect us to win. So we have to utilise that mentality. We have to. Let's let's hope Luton do a job on them tomorrow and let's, let's see what happens. How would you set up? How would you set up this team? I'm one of those people... Who goes to mentality? If it's not broke, don't fix it. So you start Sterling. I think so. I Sterling, think so. Nico, yeah, Palmer. I would go with the same eleven. They played so well in that first half against arguably a better team than Liverpool, and I think Pochettino will keep it the way it is. Yeah, and I think one it, thing that I do not want to see though, if he's fit, is Thiago Silva back in there. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think I think he'll be a good option to bring off the bench. Yeah, exactly. you know, if you want to switch to a back three. 
You know? I mentioned this to, to one of our friends at, at the bar on Saturday, actually. When he brought Chalabar on, that was where I want to see Thiago Silva. Yeah. yeah. That and having Colwell we... on the left and Desassi on the right and him right in the middle and him barking instructions. Exactly. Yeah. That's where he... That's what his, role, be, his yeah. role should be right now. That's what John Terry was in his last season under Conte. He would bring him in for the last few minutes when we needed some solid, solidifying at the back in high-pressure situations. And that was where I want him. If he's fit, I don't want to see him starting. But the rest of the team, I think you have to keep it as it is. I think you have to. Sterling, you know, I think he played well against Liverpool in the first game at Stamford Bridge. And he played well against City and got a goal. So, I mean, I think... Ideally, I want to see Nkunku in the in the lineup, but I don't think he can do. Where's Drogba? Can we just bring Drogba? Oh <laughs> man, yes, please. The God of Mr. Wembley. Wembley yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be optimistic. Two one Chelsea. I think we win in penalties this time. Oh, we got the Pet- uh, Petrovic, the penalty specialist. Yeah, I think so. I think we win. I, th- I mean, if we, I think we're going to win, but I think it's going to be in penalties. This this is my heart. Yeah, my heart's answering this question. Yeah, but we're both going for Chelsea wins. Absolutely. Oh, I'm on the Kool Aid, baby. I'm yeah. on the Kool Aid. I'm on. The, I'm riding that. I'm riding that wave. I just Pot came from gin. Mexico. I got Pot the sun gin. in me. Yeah. I've been drinking the green juice. <laughs> you had a brilliant yoga good, retreat. I'm good fish. I'm in my right mindset. <laughs> yoga. But man, another cup final. Another another Wembley cup final yeah. in our darkest days. I mean, it reminds me of like when we're when we're absolutely shit. We still make it to Wembley. Yeah, it's crazy. 2012 made it to Wembley. It's the envy of every other team. Absolutely, really is. like. So this leads into our final question, actually. So Jack from our Slack channel. The question is, each of you, what was your best cup final goal for Chelsea and the best game that we've ever played at Wembley? Man, I, th- I think for me, th- this kind of goes back, and, and my, my opinions may be different from other listeners, and, and obviously you always, find out, you always value the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup finals in Wembley. Um, I think for me, how I became a Chelsea fan was at Community Shield when we beat Arsenal in, in, this, in the late summer of 2005 and Drago scored two goals. But I, I didn't watch it. I was listening to it on the radio. No, we weren't playing at Wembley. Yeah, it's true. It wouldn't be any, they were renovating that, right? Yeah, it was yeah. Cardiff, yeah. Um, but I think for me, man, probably 07 against against Man U, I think that was probably the most exciting goal scored. It wasn't a nice goal. It wasn't like one of Drago's best goals. It was at, a terrible It was a terrible goal. Well, it was terrible, yeah. It's the first ever goal scored at Wembley. Yeah, but but the fact that he scored it in, in, in extra time and we didn't go to penalties, that would have been... That's probably my favorite goal in terms of a final. I think the the game where I had the most heart attacks was probably the 2012 FA Cup against Liverpool. Oh yeah, with Andy Carroll just came in and you know and scored a goal and and they thought they scored a second and everybody was going nuts yeah, and check, and check. Made the best save, fucking best save, save. <laughs> best save at Wembley. Yeah, has to be the best save at Wembley. That's one of the best saves I've ever seen. Yeah, has to be. Um, but I so I, th- I think the, the, my favorite goal was the 07 goal Drogba extra time. I think the, my favorite game that I saw in terms of just having like almost having a heart attack was a 2012 kind of. I think my favorite goal just take any Chelsea Wembley game would be the Matic goal against oh. Tottenham in the semifinal yeah. in 2017 Boomer. is just a fucking power driver man yeah. if you just uh, Kurt Zuma's face when he scored that that's probably my favorite goal at yeah. Wembley but it wasn't <laughs> a cup final yeah yeah my favorite cup final goal was Drogba's free kick against Portsmouth oh. when we won the double because I was there with my brother when we won the double, he, we should have won that game about 15-0 and then they got a penalty and Czech saved it and then Drogba scored an unbelievable free kick to win the game and like, we, I was in the stadium, we were talking about the magic of the FA Cup, like to me, that's one of my favourite Chelsea memories ever being at a cup final when we won the double, it's just pinch yourself moment. My favourite, 
game that we've played at Wembley is when we beat Tottenham 5-1 in the semi-final in 2012. That was a remarkable game. Remarkable game. And Drogba's goal against Spurs then is up there with one of my favourite ever Wembley goals. But when Lampard scored that free kick, Ramirez, Maluda, Mata with the goal that shouldn't have been, David Luiz busting his hamstring and Gareth Bale not scoring and scoring that moment just has to be that one I think it's just 5-1 Tottenham in a semi-final at Wembley just ultimate humiliation we've always owned Tottenham in semi-finals at Wembley always yeah and was finals. it 4-2 uh, in 2017 we beat them 4-2 I think yeah 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 incredible well that brings us to the end of this podcast I want to also thank the listeners each week I mean you guys make this podcast going we're at 52 episodes we didn't think it was going to happen when we first started this uh, but you guys tuning in every single week, giving us the support has made us kind of push through this endeavor. And we want to thank you guys so much. And uh, we really appreciate your listener questions, actually. We find this actually the most fun part of it when we don't really plan what we're going to say when we get asked some of these questions from our listeners, from our local groups, but also on our social media from around the world as well. So really, thank you so much and continue to send those in for each episode. We're also building up to our fan fest with the Premier League in America coming to Nashville on the weekend of April 5th. We've got a big Music City Blues party the night before the fan fest at our home of Tailgate Music Row where we're going to be doing a little bit of a thing there and hopefully some exciting things happening there too. Registration does open for the fan fest very soon so keep your eyes on the Premier League channel. We'll have some information on our social media channels when that information comes as well. Please do follow us on all of our social media channels. So we're CATW Podcast on Instagram, Twitter or X, TikTok. And if you've got any questions, please do send us some questions via social media or to our email address at podcastcatw at gmail.com. Also, please do give us a five-star review whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. We're trying to get to as many people as we possibly can, especially in the build-up to FanFest. So thank you so much. Keep the faith. We've got a big weekend ahead. Let's beat the Scousers the F- in the, Car- the Carabao Cup final on Sunday. Come on, Chelsea.